Uh, we're taking a, a, a break. We've been in the book of Acts. If, you, if you've been with us, you know that. If you haven't been, we've been in the book of Acts for a while now. We're actually going to do two little uh, mini-series over like the next six weeks or so because we want to unpack some things that we've, we've seen in Acts and been, to talk, been able to talk about a little bit, but we want to dive in uh, a, a little bit further. Uh, this, the first mini-series is going to be on discipleship, being a disciple who makes disciples. And then the second will be looking at the Holy Spirit and our, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, so we're going to start with, uh, with looking at being a disciple. There was a football coach that, that stood up on the first day of practice years ago, and he held up a, a football in his hand, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And, and you might think that this is like the first day of, of flag football practice, right? My, my, uh, my youngest son, he was a third grader last year, played flag football. Um, he, he didn't know a ton about football, so there's a lot to learn. So it would have made sense for his coach to do that, but it, it wasn't flag football. It wasn't peewee football. It wasn't middle school or, or high school football even. This was, uh, this was back in 1961. The coach was uh, Vince Lombardi. Maybe you've heard of him, even if you don't know who he is. Um, I, I believe, I'm not a football fan, so don't, don't get mad at me, but I think the Super Bowl trophy is named after him, right? The Lombardi, yes, okay, the Lombardi trophy. So maybe you've heard of that. He is uh, not only considered one of the best NFL coaches of all times, but people make an argument for him as one of the best uh, coaches in American sports of all time. I mean, he, he was an amazing leader. And that's how he started off training camp in 1961 with 38 NFL players. He said, this is a football. He always liked to get back to the basics and, and kind of recalibrate. And I wonder for you, as you hear, like we're going to talk about discipleship, do you, do you feel like I'm standing here saying, this is a disciple? A lot of churches, uh, Christians, we talk about being a disciple. We talk about discipleship. Um, actually, our, our mission statement, uh, it, it has making disciples in it. It says, Harvest Community Church exists to glorify God by making disciples for Jesus Christ from all peoples through gospel-centered mission, growth, and, and community. So what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to be a disciple? I thought it would be good for us to recalibrate and, and think through what, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. So we'll be in some different passages today, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. And I, man, I, I would encourage you, if you own a Bible, bring it with you every Sunday. Bring a pen so, so that you can mark that Bible up so you can turn those pages on your own. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the lobby, just take one. We, I'd love it if we needed to buy more Bibles. That would be excellent. So we're in Matthew chapter 4 to start in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. These are just normal guys, 
right? Fishermen weren't like high, high, high class in society. These weren't rabbis. These weren't uh, Levites. Right? No one looked at these guys and thought, that is who we should start this, this new religion with that, that is going to explode all over the globe. No, these were, these were normal, normal guys. And they were invited by Jesus. And in some sense, this invitation is, is really quite simple. He said, follow me. Follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. A disciple is a student, or you can think of an apprentice. Whenever I think of an apprentice, I think of uh, an electrician. If you want to become an electrician, you have to uh, get into an apprenticeship with, with a, a full-on, full-blown, certified apprentice. Or uh, electrician, sorry. <laughs> that would be silly. Um, so you, you, you're with an electrician. This apprentice is learning everything that they need to know to become an electrician. And, and when their apprenticeship is done, they will be an electrician. In Jesus' day, the disciple would follow their rabbi. They learned from them not only what they said, but, but how, they, how they prayed how they interacted with people. I mean, they, they were with them. They were soaking all of it up, asking questions, making observations. They were being trained in order to do the same thing that the rabbi did. And Jesus said to these fishermen, follow me. And it's an invitation to become like Jesus. Several years ago, uh, our church, we just came up with uh, our own little definition of, of what discipleship is. So discipleship is becoming like Jesus in what we know, feel, and do, right? In what we know, I think of uh, Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like God's word is, is to shape us, it's to shape how we think, it's to tell us how we're to view the world. It, it tells us what reality really is. So, so becoming like Jesus in, in how we think about all things in life, it's, it's becoming like Jesus in, in what we feel, right? Our emotions and in, in what grieves us and what brings us joy. Uh, it's becoming like Jesus in, in what we do, how we live our lives, right? We should be transformed. A disciple should be transformed in how they live, right? They, they should... They should they should approach work differently. They should, they should live out uh, leisure differently, right? How they approach uh, entertainment, how they approach media should be different. Like God shapes all of that. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's transforming us into the image of his son, uh, of Jesus the son. Luke 6.40, Jesus said, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher, right? The, the longer you're around your teacher, the more you will be like them. And the goal is to be just like them, right? And we, we see this in relationships all the time, right? Uh, I remember there's a couple I went to church with, and it was un, it was just uncanny how much they were like each other. I mean, they didn't look alike, but, but the way they talked, like the, the cadence of their speech, it, it was like mirror image. The, the jokes that they thought were so funny, the way they laughed, like everything they did, it, it, it was like they were they mind-melded. 
right? Maybe you've experienced that with, with a family member, with a roommate, uh, or maybe even just within in your work culture, right? Like you, you kind of start to, to not, not just have inside jokes. Yeah, you have those, but, but you think the same things are funny, and you, you just you kind of become the same. And it makes sense, right? A disciple of Jesus is one who will be like Jesus. They'll become more and more like Jesus, not perfectly, but, but you would expect a Christian to be Christ-like. Even the world expects that, right? When, when the world sees someone uh, famous that proclaims to be a Christian, and, and then that, that person does something that's definitely not like Jesus, the world pounces on it. They go, I don't know Jesus exactly, but, but I know Jesus isn't like that. They're all over it. They know that Christians should reflect Jesus. And we think about, okay, so how did Jesus do this with his disciples? How did he make disciples? Um, and we know, and, and you've probably thought about this before, but they were everywhere together. They went everywhere together. Jesus was with his disciples for three years. And they saw Jesus not just when he was up front, right? Not just when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Not just when he was breaking the loaves of bread, multiplying the fish, feeding the 5,000. No, they were with him when he, when he stubbed his toe, right? They were with him when he uh, didn't get a good night's sleep. They were with him when he felt sick. They were with him when, when, when people were annoying, when people treated him poorly. They saw it all. They saw how he prayed. They saw how he interacted with all kinds of people, right? From, from the rich and powerful to the poor, the marginalized. They watched him with, with those who claimed to be godly. They watched him with, with those who were notorious sinners. Jesus invited them into the trenches of everyday life with him. I remember hearing a saying years ago, you can impress people from afar, but you touch you touch people, you touch their lives up close. And you will neither be changed by the gospel from afar, nor will you be a part of God's kingdom work from afar. And I just briefly want to think about both of those. You won't be changed by the gospel from afar. Like before knowing Christ, and maybe that's you right now. Maybe, maybe you're coming to church just trying to figure out if, if what you've heard about Jesus is true. So you're in this investigating mode right now, and that's great. I, I encourage that. Ask questions, but maybe you're just not quite ready yet to say, I'm in. So, so you're kind of keeping a distance. Actually, I just met a sister in Christ from a, another church, never met her before. We got to talking. I, I realized or found out that uh, she was the only Christian in her family. So I, I just want to know. How did you come to know Christ? So I'm not going to tell you her whole story, but I want to tell you the beginning of it. She was uh, a college athlete, um, actually almost made it to the Olympics, which, which is cool. Um, but from the outside looking in, no one would look at her and think, oh, she's going to become a, a Christian soon. Everything uh, about her screamed, no, I don't want anything to do with, with Jesus or, or religion. She didn't go to church, never been to church. She was living up the college life as soon as she hit the college campus. So she's 18 years old. She's got a roommate in college, and this roommate knows Jesus. And this roommate started inviting her every week to church, even though she turned her down every single time. She just kept inviting her. I turned it down more than a, a dozen times. 
then finally, just to get this Christian roommate off her back, she says, fine, if I don't have anything better to do that morning, I'll go with you, right? And, and, and better to do was like getting over a hangover. So she always had a hangover Sunday morning. But finally, there was one Sunday, she's like, I'm just going, I'm just, I'm gonna go so that she'll stop because clearly this girl's not gonna quit. So they go to church and, you know, she doesn't think much of it. She didn't really wanna be there the whole time. She's kind of annoyed that she went. They're driving back and the roommate says, hey, I've got something I wanna give you. I bought you a Bible. You can do whatever you want with it. And the young woman knew she didn't want a Bible, but she also didn't want to be a jerk. So she didn't throw it away. She walked into her room and, and set it down somewhere and honestly didn't think about it for a long time. And then at some point she noticed and she's like, oh yeah, that, that Bible. And, and then eventually she got curious and opened that thing up. She turned to Matthew and, and started reading the Gospel of Matthew. And, and, and right away, like she was just enthralled. She'd never heard this before. And she couldn't believe this story that she was reading. She did not want her roommate to know. Right? She did not want her roommate to know. She wanted anybody to know that she was reading a Bible now. That was, that was against her vibe for sure. But man, she, as she's reading and she's thinking more and God's doing more in her heart, she's got questions. She's like, what do I do? So she, she goes to her roommate and she says, she confesses, I've been reading that Bible you gave me. I've got some questions, but you can't tell anyone or I will literally kill you. And at that point, she told me I wasn't going to literally kill her. I, was, I felt pretty safe, so I, I assumed that. But she starts asking questions, and, and they start reading the Bible together. And long story short, she starts going to church. She gets in Bible studies. Eventually, she, she met Jesus and trusted Jesus and she wanted to try and do it from afar at first, but, but eventually she knew she couldn't, she couldn't keep Jesus at arm length if she was actually going to get to know him. The disciple has to be in close proximity to Jesus and his people. Discipleship does not happen from afar. You are not a disciple of Jesus by, by keeping him an arm's length away. So very practically, what do I mean by that? This isn't everything, but this is some of it. A disciple of Jesus has a regular diet of God's word, just regularly feasting on God's word. A disciple of Jesus spends time praying, talking with God. A disciple of Jesus is a part of a church, and I mean in the life of a church, and I'll get to more, more of that in a minute. And, and I'm, I'm thankful, like my, my friends online, I'm thankful that we have this for you. I know that we've got people that have to work and they're out of town some weeks and this is the way they can join us. But, but I want you to know that, man, online isn't the same as being here, as being with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? There are gonna be conversations that are gonna happen after the service that none of us have planned out. God has just ordained them to happen. In his providence, someone's gonna ask someone else, I don't know, Something like, how you doing? And, and someone else is gonna say, oh, good. And then that person's gonna go, really? And, and then some real conversation is gonna happen. Like that's, that's part of why we have to be together, right? That, that's, that's church. So I love that you can watch us online. And I don't know even what part of the country you're in, but man, start going to a church. So the second point is, is you won't be a, a part of God's kingdom work from afar. So let's get back to the whole football analogy. Um, uh, you can be on the team. You can sit on the sidelines. 
You can pay attention from the sidelines to the game, right? You can, you can cheer when your team scores a touchdown, but you're not on the field, right? You're, you're not in the game. If, if you want to be a part of God's work, you got to get in the game. And, and, and I just talked about part of that means being part of a church, right? Like living life together. It means being known by others and knowing others Right? Having, having and giving permission to speak into each other's lives so that we can help each other follow Jesus together. It, it, means, it means being um, involved and serving in, in your church somehow. It, it means that you're regularly with the body, right? Not, not just when you feel like it. In fact, the Sundays when you don't feel like coming, that might be the Sunday where you should be here the most, to be honest. But man, I, I hope that, that you, you regularly just want to be with the body. And even when you don't want to, that, that you're committed, just trusting that this is how God has made it for believers to walk together. Another part of that is, is talking about Jesus. Like I said about Scott, man, he just talks about Christ where he goes. He's, he's looking for opportunities. But we need, to, we need to do that not only with non-Christians. We need to do that together. Have you ever spent like a lot of time with a, a group of Christians and then left and said, man, did we, did we even talk about the Lord at all? Like this person who's supposed to be the most important one to us, do we, we even pray? Like do we do anything that, that, that would let people know that we're believers in Christ if, if they happen to be watching us? So man, we, we should... We should talk about Jesus. We should talk about, about following God, trusting God, glorifying God all the time. And, and certainly part of being in the game is, is praying. Right? Praying for our world, praying for brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for opportunities to talk, praying for, for words, praying that, that he would guide our steps. I think about the, the proximity even in Jesus healing people. There, there were some times where Jesus healed from afar, right? Like didn't even, didn't even see the person, just healed them and, and clearly demonstrated his power. Uh, and he could have done all of them that way, right? It would have been a lot easier for him. It, it would have been less of a hassle, but he didn't. Most people that he healed, he was right there with them, right in the mess, right in the pain of the situation. Jesus entered into their world. Discipleship happens up close. So the first question I think we have to ask ourselves is, am I a disciple of Jesus? I go to church, maybe I've been in church for a long, long time, but am I actually a disciple of Jesus? And one way to answer that is, what, what do you see in your life that points to you being a disciple of Christ. The Bible talks about Christians producing fruit in their lives. What fruit do you see in your life? I have a little lime tree. I've talked about it before. I love my little lime tree. Even though last year, it did not produce any limes for me. It was a very sad year for me in that regard. So if you came and saw my lime tree that's out on my porch or in the winter, I have to bring it into the garage, and you saw it without any limes, unless you're a citrus expert, you probably wouldn't be able to tell exactly what kind of tree it was. Maybe you'd go, oh, is that a citrus? And I'd go, yeah, it's a lime tree. Isn't that super cool? And you go, yeah, that's awesome. I've always wanted one. Um, but you wouldn't know until I told you. But this year... I've got like 30 or 40 little limes on my tree. Yes, thank you. That's, I'm even more excited than that. 
So I've got all these little limes on my tree, and when you come up and you see it, you don't, you don't have to know what it is because you see limes and go, oh, that's a lime tree. Where'd you get that? And I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> but you know it because there's limes on it. So a Christian should have fruit. They're fruit that tell us like, oh, oh, this is, this is one who belongs to Jesus. Can someone look at you and how you live and say, oh, are you a Christian? Right? Or someone that doesn't even know Christ, like they wouldn't put it this way, but, 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 but what they would mean is, oh, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because I can see some things in you. I can see some fruit in you. One example of fruit that Jesus told his disciples uh, that the world would be able to see in them is in John 13, 35. He says, by, all, uh, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, do we love like Jesus loves? Right? Do I love like a disciple of Jesus would? Do I... Do I have the love of God in me for brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Am I patient? Am I patient with those in the body of Christ that, that aren't really exactly like me, that, that maybe even get on my nerves sometimes? Do I love them? How about those outside of Christ? Do I love them? And we're told to love our enemies. Do we love our enemies? Do we have a love for our community, for our, our nation even. Throughout scripture, God commands his people to love the, the places that they were even exiled to, right? That's radical, that they're to be a blessing to the people that oppressed them. Man, do we love our community, even the nation that we are in, or, or do we just gripe about how messed up it is? I think there's a massive difference between complaining about how sinful now, our country is, and, and grieving how sinful our country is. And do our hearts look more and more like God's heart for the world? What other fruit can others see in your lives? Maybe, maybe it's by the choices that you make with money. Or maybe it's by, uh, maybe it's the way you handle yourself on social media. Or maybe it's by uh, how you choose to be entertained, like, like shows and movies that you're like, yeah, that's just not good for me. I'm not going to watch that or maybe it's by how you treat the poor. Or maybe they, the fruit that they see is your commitment to uh, relationships that you're in, even when they're hard, even when you've been greatly wronged. Or maybe they can see it. Maybe a coworker sees that you read your Bible at lunchtime. I heard a testimony of a young Muslim man who came to know Jesus, and it started when he was in college. He was on this academic team, and they would, uh, they would travel to competitions. So he had a roommate, and he had the same roommate the whole, the whole season of those competitions, and this roommate was a Christian. And this guy, every night, would break out his Bible. And, and this Muslim uh, man, he didn't think Christians read their Bibles. His, his impression was that Christians don't read their Bibles. So he was shocked to see that, that here was a Christian that seemed to be just as committed to his faith as, as this young man was. And, and that was this, this little gospel pebble in his shoe, so to speak, that God used. And, and it got him to consider, it got him to watch this Christian and then it got him to talk with this Christian about his faith. And, and, and then fast forward, long process, but man, Jesus saved this young man. This, this, this young man now loves Christ. So again, is there fruit of being a disciple in your life? 
Or are you growing more like Jesus in how you think and how you feel and how you live? The disciples transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. He's making us more and more like Jesus. After Jesus said, follow me, he said, I will make you fishers of men. And we'll get more into what making fishers of men means, but even more basic than that, when he, when he says, I want to make you fishers of men, Jesus is saying, follow me. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. You're going to become more and more like me. And too many people call themselves Christian, but it's in name only. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't really want Jesus to change us, or, or at least not, not in the, the ways or the parts of us that we don't approve of, right? We're, we're good with Jesus remodeling a little of this in our life and, and this part that we don't like anyway in this place, but, but not everything. I, I want to keep this place, this part of me, pretty much the same. no. That's not being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, take my life and do what you want with it. Change me. You made me. Luke 14, 25 and following, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brother uh, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple those are hard words. Following Jesus means that he's above everything in our life, every relationship in our life even, even our own self. The language of hating your family is strong, and it needs to be so we can get the point. Man, the believer loves Jesus so much that love for their own family, even love for their own self, pales in comparison in so many cultures, family is everything. And our culture, family is a big deal, but not certainly not as strong as some other cultures. But my guess is parents and grandparents, you feel this temptation to, to make your grandkids, to place them in a higher place than Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe for you, it's a spouse or a sibling. I know if Jesus didn't tell me this, I would make my kids an idol and I wouldn't even be aware of it. I wouldn't even know that I was doing something wrong. But with this passage, I'm continuously challenged to make sure that I don't place my kids or anyone else above Christ. He keeps going in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not, first, or will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, these are hard words. There's a cost to following Jesus. Right? We're to pick up our cross. We're to pick up this instrument of death in order to follow him. This is, there's a death to self. And it's, it's an ongoing dying to self and living in Jesus. The disciple is one who's counted the cost and says, yes, it's totally worth it. And we get 
that Jesus' disciples followed Jesus around uh, everywhere. But what about us today? Matthew 28, uh, 19. Um, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. D- disciples of Jesus are to make other disciples. We're going to start talking about that next week and the following week. Being a disciple of Jesus, though, for today, I just want you to think about this. It involves other Jesus followers. So churches like ours need to be full uh, of discipling relationships, right? So there needs to be this inner connectivity all over the place in a healthy body, trying to raise up disciples, trying to help one another grow. So I, I, uh, I'm going to show you a little diagram. It's nothing fancy. Um, uh, I think I'm going to show you a diagram. Yes, so I I actually hand drew one, and Alyssa said it wasn't good enough. So we have this instead. So uh, we'll go through this this diagram on being a disciple. Um, You'll notice the diagram doesn't show the Holy Spirit. It uh, It doesn't show the Bible. I'm just focusing on relationships with other Christ followers in this diagram. But what I want you to think through is what relationships are helping you become more like Jesus and what you and what you know and what you feel and do. So the left side uh, says says previous. These are uh, previous generations of believers. At first I was going to label it dead people. And then I thought, man, that might freak some people out. So um, uh, what I mean by that though are our brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone before us, right? And, and we have things that they wrote. We have sermons that, that they preached, and, and, and they are a part of our discipleship, even though it's decades later or even hundreds of years later. So this list for me uh, recently, it would include uh, Bonhoeffer, it would include Jay Packer, Corey Tenboom, uh, A.W. Tozer, it includes some, uh, some of the Puritans through, uh, through this, uh, this Puritan prayer book I have. And let me say this, if you only read uh, current people, if you're only reading books that, that are of people that are still living, um, y- y- you need to expand. Because uh, sometimes uh, that book is just going to be a fad. And, and it's sometimes really easy to spot a fad. Sometimes it's not in, until a while later. So you want to have at least some books that have stood the test of time. You know, the other believers are, are still saying like, yeah, you really need to, you need to read this book. So the, those are uh, people, uh, the, the previous generations that have gone before us. On the, on the far right side there, it says current. Um, these, are, these are believers that are alive, uh, but, but they're from afar, right? So this is like a, a current author or, uh, or a pastor or a blogger, right? So maybe, maybe it's Tim Keller. You're listening to some Tim Keller sermons or, or reading some of his books or uh, a podcast that I've loved the last couple of years is uh, Alicia Childers. Um, so these are people that you don't know. But, but man, they're talking about God. They're talking about following Jesus. They're talking about his word. And, and you are, you're being discipled, albeit from afar, you're being discipled by them. But then in the top there, it's, it says with. These are people that you actually, you have a relationship with. And you'll notice that that, that arrow is connected. The, the two that are coming in from the angle, they're not connected yet. We'll, we'll get to the pure one as well. But, but these arrows that are connected, it, it's, there's actual relationship there, 
right? You, you know each other. Discipleship, like I said earlier, happens up close. This is where the growth mostly happens, and this is, this is critical. These are people that, man, that, that you can't just shut the book and, and they're gone. No, these are people that know you, they see you. Maybe they bump into you at, at the grocery store or the gas station. These are people that you could just call or text at any time. You know, these are people that, that you could get together and say, hey, can we, can we go on a walk? Like, I just need to, I gotta talk about some stuff or man, I gotta confess like what I've been battling with or whatever it is. These are people that you can grab coffee with or, or have a meal and, and they, they can speak directly into your life because they actually know you. Philippians 3:17 says, "Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us." 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, Paul says, "Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ." I'll never forget. There's a high schooler that came to know Christ. He was the first person in his family uh, to to become a Christian. He was really the first of his friend group to become a Christian. And he shared this verse, and, and he said, I didn't know what Jesus would do. I didn't know how Jesus thought. I didn't know how he lived. But I, my youth leader, Chuck, I knew what Chuck would do. And I knew Chuck was following Jesus. So when I read this verse, I'm like, yeah, that's what I need. Right now, I need to follow Chuck as I get to know Jesus more and more. So this list here, let's get back to the diagram, actually. Oh, sorry. I got my slides out of order. Um, th this list here in the middle, for me, it, it's long. It started with my mom and dad. And I know not everyone uh, grows up and has a Christian mom and dad. Um, but man, if you've come to know Christ, and if you have kids someday, you get to be that. You get to be that Christian mom or dad. But man, how great it is. What a blessing it is to have parents that are praying for you. To have parents that are just in regular family life, talking about God. Parents that are weaving scripture into your family. Parents that, that pray with their kiddos. Psychologists believe that uh, a child's moral compass is, is really set pretty firmly by about the age 12. And, and so this doesn't mean that influence uh, after that is, is over, but it really it tells me how, how critical those early years are for your kids. And, and obviously after 12, you continue to disciple your kids as they're coming into their own person, right? As they're uh, individuating, you're helping them. You're helping them think, think biblically, to think like, like a Christian. You're helping them uh, understand like, okay, how's this social media impacting your heart right now? Or, or, or this song that you listen to, what do you think the worldview is there? And, and how does that compare? How does that contrast with Christianity? So for me, my discipleship started with my mom and dad. And, and then in middle school, there were two youth staff members that uh, at different times in my middle school years sought me out. One was Gary, the other was Lee. They were, I think they were college students at the time. So they're like eight, nine years older than me probably. And, and they knew Jesus better than me. These are the first guys I started to actually read my Bible with. And they, they helped me as this little middle schooler that, that, that wanted to follow Jesus. They helped me uh, know God's word. And then in high school, I met uh, this, this uh, youth worker named Joel. And Joel is super intentional with me. And we'd get together, we'd pray, and we'd read the Bible. He gave me all kinds of books to read. And then after him in high school, there was a guy named Brent. And then I went off to college um, and I sought out this older man in my church. And, and this guy was, I mean, decades older than me. His name is Bruce. 
And, and I asked him, hey, Bruce, would you disciple me? I, I just, I, I respect you. I, I see your love for Jesus. Like, I want to learn from you. So, so Bruce was pretty taken aback by that at first. And he said, give me a little time. Let me pray. And he got back to me and he said, yeah, you're, you're coming over to my house every Thursday. And that's what I did every Thursday through college. Unless one of us was out of town, I went to Bruce's house and, and we had dinner together. Uh, I had dinner with their family and we'd chit chat. And then Bruce and I would go to another room for like the next hour or so. And, and he had this little notebook and he'd take notes about what questions he wanted to follow up on and how he could just diligently pray for me. And I'd talk about all everything in my life, um, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he would, he would challenge me on things. And then after college, I became a youth pastor. And there's this older youth pastor named Clark. And then, I mean, fast forward, I get here and, and Pastor Gary discipled me. Ron Frost, the last couple of years, has been a man pouring into my life. Four or five years ago, I was, uh, I was down at Hidden River, a coffee shop. And I was getting ready for a Sunday. And in walks my old youth pastor from whatever that is, 25 years ago or whatever. Um, and he sits down and, and he talks and, and he's, he's a local pastor. He's been a, a senior pastor for decades now. Um, and he took off and I said goodbye. And then a few minutes later, I mean like five minutes later maybe, he came back in and he said, hey, Greg, um, I'm getting together with, with, uh, with Bill. Uh, Bill and I were in youth group together. And he, uh, he recently became a, a lead pastor too. Um, do you want to get together with us every other week? So we get together. Every other week, every other Wednesday, we get together. We've been getting together for the last five years, and man, we ask a ton of questions. And, and Bob just, he just pours out knowledge. Sometimes like, man, we gotta shut it down for a second. I gotta breathe here. Um, it, it, is, it has been great. I, I, could, I could keep going there, but man, we need those, those people, those who are with us that, that are, are further down the road. You'll notice that, and all the people I just listed, all of them were older than me. Right? Our culture is, is uh, an anomaly when it comes to how we treat older generations. Uh, so many other cultures see how we treat um, older people and they just scratch our heads going, what are you doing? Like, there's the people that know everything. Like, what's wrong with you? And we need to glean wisdom um, from those who've walked with Christ longer. They're a gift to us. And this is, this is the Christian way. This is what we see in the Bible. Paul tells older women, teach the younger women. Similarly, the younger men, you need to learn from the older men. They're, they're there to help you grow, right? It's like we're leaving money on the table if we're not learning from mature believers in life. And our church, I look around, like we're not just stuck in like one decade of age or a couple decades. Like we've got a spectrum of, of ages in here and that is a beautiful thing. We need to take full advantage of that. So the, the last part of the diagram that we'll get to this week, on the sides, it, it says peers, right? And that, that arrow is, is connected. You notice it, it goes both ways. But these are, are people that, that you're in about the same uh, place uh, and the same maturity as them with Christ. And, and you're helping each other. And, and it's a, it's a two-way thing, encouraging one another in Christ, and I'm gonna, I'll wrap up here. Next week, we're gonna add a little bit more to the diagram. Um, but I, again, I wanna ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if, if you had to draw your own diagram of, of the, the discipling relationships, what, what would it look like? Right, who's on there? And would you say it looks 
uh, balanced? W- would you say that, yeah, there, there, there are a number of, of people that, that are helping me grow in Jesus? Or, or I wonder, are you just trying to grow on your own? Right? Because that is not the way that, that God has set it up. And, and yet so often, uh, I think that, that at least some Christians try to grow on their own or, or with very, very little relationship with others. For some of you this week, I think maybe God's going to bug you and say, Man, you really need to reach out to a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ that you respect, someone that, that will help, help you grow, someone that's, that's been where you've been or where you're going to be. They've already been there with Jesus, and they're still clinging to him and trusting in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we, we love you. And if we, if we look at your plan on paper um, as to how you're going to spread the gospel, it's a crazy plan, Lord, that you're going to use broken people to make disciples who will make disciples. But God, we, we thank you that, that that plan works because of you. We thank you, Holy Spirit that you are working in us to make us more and more like Jesus. And Lord, I, I just, I pray, I pray for brothers and sisters that maybe are here and realizing, yeah, there's not, there aren't a whole lot of people that are helping me grow in Jesus. Lord, would you, would you help them to find someone? Lord, would you lead them to someone? And, and maybe there are others that, that they need to pray, Lord, is there someone that you want me to pour into? God, you've given me so much. Would you, would you help me, Lord, to share, to share what you have given me, to share how you have grown me? God, would you grow us as a church, Lord? Would we truly be your disciples, Jesus? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.